Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. We are. Welcome back. It has been a week. I was going to say, we barely made it through like Friday. 100% Friday was rough Friday was rough rougher on some of us than others yeah so Katie's referring to me facetiming her from the rain crying on Friday because sitting on the ground (laughs) I recently got into gardening I don't know if we've talked about that on the show or not but I have I think we have I moved into a house that had gardens and I was like I'm gonna be a vegetable gardener and I worked so hard on these vegetables but I did not put any fencing around it and so I woke up Friday morning and my peppers and my tomatoes were all eaten by deer they were all gone all gone bye-bye So funny, though, I called Brandon, my boyfriend, and I was, like, hysterically crying. The co-homeowner, as in, like, this is partially your responsibility now. He literally thought the dog died. I was so hysterical. And then I guess he got off the phone, like, after I hung up, and I I literally hung up with him and called you. And And she was in this pajama shirt she wears all the time that's like a button-up collared pajama shirt with, like, hearts all (laughs) over it. And she's, like, in the rain. It was the most, like, dramatic 90s moment almost. It was hilarious. Yeah. So anyway, he he called the greenhouse and he, like, told them what happened and was like, I need tomatoes and pepper starters pronto. Your most developed ones preferred. Yeah. So he sent me to the greenhouse. I did get not the same ones, but something to replace my very sad chopped off plants. Um, And then today we built a fence around the garden. So... Live and learn. It was a learning experience. I had my meltdown, but the fence is there now, and I got new kinds of peppers, so all is good in the hood. And you know what? Simon told me what he told you, and I totally agree with him. Like, if your vegetables were good enough that all the animals, like, cleared you out, they must have been delicious. I know. Your boyfriend's so cute. He messaged me, and he was like, you you must have been doing something right. Like everyone's being so nice to me right now, and I'm being so dramatic. Well, and because it's a video call, of course, he can like hear it because I just answer it and he's like in the other room. So then, of course, I just like look over and I can see him looking at me. I'm like, What does she do to fix her plants? He's like, Well, (laughs) and just like comes into the conversation. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys really came through with solutions. (laughs) A bunch of fixes over here. It was a lot more him than me, but. I'm just along for the ride. Anyway, so that was my traumatic moment of the week. It sounds really dramatic, but... It does. I put a lot of heart and soul into those plants, and it was sad. It was a sad I moment. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, we don't need to talk about my garden. Uh, it's fine. It's good. It's thriving. <laughs> um. If anyone wants to follow our plant journey, I did. I think I've mentioned this already. I made us an Instagram account. Katie hasn't posted a single thing on it. Oh my but god, I'm the worst. Plants by proxy. If you want to follow our half-assed gardening adventure, you can do so. The other day, Simon's like, "Why isn't it produce by proxy?" Because I'm also posting like my indoor plants. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why. 
take that, Simon. Because I've been on an indoor plant journey too. Uh, yeah, True. that's literally just a place for me to post my plants so that nobody else that doesn't want to see them doesn't have to see them. That didn't make Love any sense. that. Yeah. So what have you been uh, up to this week, ma'am? I found a new obsession. I am Katie's really... new obsession of the week. Because <laughs> she always has a new one. We're over the yeah. bees. We've moved so on from I've... the bees. No, no, no. My bees are just like self-sufficient now. They're oh. good. They've oh. left the nest, so to speak. Mm. Out of the nest, onto the hive. That's what they always say, you know. I don't know. I think that's what oh. bee people... I don't know. That's what I say. Um, okay. No, I have like found a new just fun hobby of playing with epoxy resin. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, is, like, the clear stuff you see people on Instagram pour to make, like, art or whatever. But I've just been doing, like, fun projects of, like, putting stuff in epoxy. <laughs> that sounds so lame. <laughs> so not, so, like, half art. It's still art. You're just putting objects in the epoxy and making something Shh, abstract and artful with them. Yeah. I'm, we'll post a picture next when this episode goes up of my project and her fence. Yes, we will. Katie's we'll projects see. are actually pretty cool. I feel like I'm downplaying them. They are really neat. So we will definitely no, post them. yours. Set the bar low. Tower of life. Yeah. And uh, Set the my bar fence. low. I didn't actually do much to build the fence, but I'll post it anyway. You were just there for moral support and to tell him what he was doing wrong. It's actually funny, though, because the garden is like my domain. And so after he built the fence and put it up, I caught him just like, I caught him out there just like standing with his arms crossed, just staring at it. Like, yes. Oh my God. He did like the dad bod kind of like (laughs) when after they cut the lawn, look at He does that too. Or dad pose, I mean. Yeah, he does that now too, that we have a lawn and he's like so proud of it when he cuts it. He stands in the front window and just crosses his arms and is like, that is a nice lawn. I did that. Yeah. Brandon. You deserve a little pat on the back. Yeah, so that's our fun facts of the week. Um, maybe we yeah. can start giving a fun fact of the week going forward. I'm, I think we do anyway. It's just like never intentional, just word vomit. Um, I also just uh, get bored easy, so I usually have something stupid I've done each week. Just like uh, I was some... also tie-dyeing shirts this week. Um, There's a mosquito in here and that could get really bad. I might have to kill it. Why will it get really bad? Because it just flew near my face and I started flapping. Well, don't flap. Okay. Just lift your blanket up if it comes near you. Okay. So we'll move into some more podcast-related stuff. Welcome back. If you listened yes. to last week's, thank you. If you're new, welcome. Uh, podcast by Proxy. Welcome to and the show. And shout out Glenda. She's really been interactive with us and other people and... Thank you. Yeah, shout out to Glenda. And I was also going to give a shout out to our new Patreon member this week, Lee. Uh, thank you so much for joining and becoming a member of Patreon. Uh, for everybody who needs a little refresher, Patreon is a subscription service that we have. You can get ad-free episodes, early access, access to like our archived old episodes um, that we have taken down. And bonus episodes, which we are going to be releasing a bonus episode this month. I have it all done. We just haven't uh, recorded it. Uh, But you can hit the link in the description box or our Instagram bio or it's on our link tree, which I think is linked basically everywhere. Um, So welcome, Lee. Thank you so much. You will be getting some stickers in the mail from me. Um, 
And then also thank you so much to our five-star reviews this week. We got a few new reviews and we love seeing those. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone. It means a lot. Um, Liking, sharing, recommending, all of it helps so much. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. So before I let Katie tell us the story that she brought for us today. She's always doing this, guys. She just sneaks a little story in every time. We have a really important one this week, though. Yeah. I know. I kid. I kid. She jokes. She jokes. She kids. She kids. She kids. Um, yeah, we have a really important story today. It's local to us, but there is a uh, a 40-year-old female named Amber Manthorn that has been missing from Port Alberni, BC since July 7th, 2022. Um, so about nine days ago at this point. Port Alberni, BC is actually where last week's episode on Jessica States took place. So if you listened last week, you know... About the area and that it's super local to us. So that is where Amber is from. Small town. Everyone knows everybody. Yeah. You've heard us say all this before about our island. Yeah. Amber is Caucasian, 40 years old. She's just over five feet tall with a slim build and blonde hair with blue eyes. She is described by her friends and family as a firecracker, somebody who lights up a room. Amber worked part-time or works part-time at an industrial marine Uh, center and is also the partner in a photography business i actually found looking through facebook and stuff that she was like super multifaceted had like a lot of hobbies and kind of those small businesses going for her like i Hmm. found one she started last year like a clothing rental company for like boudoir photos and nice dresses for photo shoots and stuff she wanted to like rent them out to like help make people feel beautiful when they want to do photo shoots and things so that's That's really really cool cool. yeah so amber and her boyfriend justin hall they were dating for about a year and they just recently broke up um i actually found a public facebook post from july 5th of justin's uh it's kind of long but i'm gonna read it Mm -hmm. i'm the guy that opens the door pays the bill Puts his full heart into the person he loves. I don't wander. I don't entertain thoughts of other women. I tend to be vulnerable at times and I don't regret that. I have a dark past, but I don't intend to go to that place again. I was always in it 100. I rode through the rough times with loyalty and respect. I never pasted others publicly or used them as a way to advance in my position. Yes, I'm sensitive, but I'm also very protective and prideful. I know what I lost. Loss has been part of my life. I'll continue to advance and be the best version of myself, but in the end, who is really losing? So that's at about... That's a lot of words. Yeah, so that's at about like 8 o'clock p.m. or 8.30, closer to 9 p.m. on the 5th. And then in a separate post, like 10 minutes later, he wrote, quote, Oh, and I'll keep posting on my personal Facebook under my real name like a man. Only cowards hide, hide behind false aliases and t- talk trash. End quote. Um, his okay. whole Facebook account is a bit unhinged, honestly. Like, any public statuses are, like, really long. There's just a lot going on there. But uh, it gives a little bit of context in the fact that, like, they clearly were going through a breakup of some sort really, really close to when he she disappeared. He was going through a tough time. Yeah. yeah. He felt like something he 
loved was leaving him or he was losing something. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So two days after these like Facebook posts are made on July 7th, Amber told a friend that she was going to be meeting up with Justin that evening and had a gift for him. So they were going to be hanging out. She had apparently gotten a gift of some sort. Um, yeah. Okay. The next day, she never showed up for work. So she was reported missing when she was not heard from by any of her family and friends and she failed to show up for work. So that's just not something that she would do. And she seems like the kind of person who was really popular, has a lot of friends and is in like kind of constant contact with people. So it was like immediate red flags. Yeah. So her missing poster was plastered around the news on the island. I've shared um, this missing poster a couple of times on our Instagram story. And um, it shared Amber's photo, the description of her, and included a photo of her white 2021 Jeep Compass. Um, This original poster, the public was asked to look for both her and her vehicle, stating that she may be with a man whom the RCMP didn't identify, but her friends and family have, of course, identified him as her ex-boyfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend, Justin Hall. That's Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what we know is that Amber's phone last pinged near Cameron Lake at 9.30 p.m. on Thursday the 7th. And according to the Facebook group called Finding Amber Manthorn, the last text communication that she had was with two friends at around 10 p.m. that same night. Um, And these text messages are said to have sounded like Amber. They didn't raise any flags at all. Like one of them was one of her friends was selling a pair of shoes on Marketplace. So Amber messaged her and was like, hey, can I buy those shoes? Like they seemed like her. There wasn't any kind of weird stuff there. And just to say like what you're saying, it seems normal is if someone was going out of their way to reply to text to cover for something they wouldn't do something like that. Mm-hmm. They would be replying to incoming texts, but usually aren't going out of their way to do stuff like that. And that is a very easy interaction to say, no, that sounded like her. So. Yeah. And like for context, Cameron Lake is about a 20-ish minute drive from Port Alberni. Like it's not that far. It's kind of in the middle of the highway between like... Is it only that far? I would have guessed it was further because I thought that... That's where I had to pull off for, like, a construction round where they do, like, the hour on, hour off. They do. I but like it seemed farther, I, but I'm bad at that stuff. I live, like, ten minutes away from Cameron Lake, and I can get to Port Alberni in half an hour. And it's, like, on my oh, drive okay. there. It's on the main highway on the side of the road. Um, it's known to be... We've talked about it before. It's known to be really deep. I was corrected, however. They do know where the bottom is. They do know how deep it is. Um, but yeah, it's not like just, you can't just like get there in Port Alberni. Like you'd have to be driving out of town yeah, in order to like ping past there or, or go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I know what you mean. I gotcha. On Sunday, July 10th, 2022. So that would be three to four days after she was reported missing. Two days so later. Six days ago. Yeah. Last Sunday. Amber's Jeep was located by police out on McGillivary Way, which is south of Nanaimo, B.C. in the Cassidy area. So this is essentially a logging road area out past Nanaimo River, and her vehicle was found abandoned. No Amber, no Justin. It was abandoned. 
Empty vehicle. Okay. Yeah. So the distance between, like, so Amber lived near Great Central Lake in Port Alberni. So the distance between, like, approximately the Great Central Lake area and McGillivary Way in Cassidy is around, like, just over 100 kilometers or an hour and a half by car. So that's really far from where they were unless she was going somewhere else to meet him. There's not a lot of details about that part. Like, where they were going to be meeting up or anything like that. Nobody really seems to know that. I wonder if, like, maybe they don't have her phone or they haven't confirmed that or... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They always withhold something, so who knows? Yeah. So, searches for Amber and Justin continued until this past Tuesday, July 12th, 2022, when the RCMP confirmed that they had located Justin Hall. Uh, so after speaking with Justin, the police reported that they were confident that Amber wasn't with Justin at the time. He has since been released. He hasn't made any public Facebook posts since this release. However, he did send an email to check news. Um, and the okay. email part of it reads... I didn't know about the email. Yeah, he emailed check news. And it says, quote, I did not hurt my girlfriend... I do not know why she isn't back home. And then the message basically reads that him and Amber had an argument. And after the argument, he said, quote, I just wanted to get away from everyone. I wasn't able to contact anyone because I didn't have a cell phone. And by the time I did, it was too late. I was already guilty in your eyes. He goes on in the email to say, quote, I lost the only person that still had my back. I've been calling her cell just to hear her voice, and then I cry till I have no tears left. I would do anything to get her in my arms. Okay, reread that in your head for a second and think about that how to spot a liar person and think of all the words he's using. Mm-hmm. Like He's like, I lost her. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's past tense. Yep. There's just so much in that that I'm not saying he did it. No. But, again, these are just things that maybe people know something or things like that. It's just... The wording is odd. It's definitely a strange reaction if when your girlfriend's yes. missing if you had nothing to do with it and had no idea where she was. Like it's it's yeah. like overly emotional and like you said, very past tense, crying till I have no tears left. Like it's it's a lot. Yeah, I and sorry, did they live together? Not that I know of, no. Okay. No. Not that it matters or I was aware of, but I no. just was curious. Okay. Yeah, he also claims in the email that despite reports, he was not the last person to be seen with Amber. Um, so I have a question here. If you did meet up with her and you don't know what happened to her and you had nothing to do with it, how would you even know if you were the last person to see her or not? Mm-hmm. I also just wonder how Questions. anybody knows they're the last person to see someone. Yeah, true. I understand if police come to you and say, like, we think you might be the last person. And you're like, okay, well, this is where I saw them. And then this is where they were going next. Mm-hmm. But I think it's weird when people are like, I think I might have been the last person to see them. Yeah. It's like, well, that already puts oh, it puts a little suspicion bubble on you. Yeah. So that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, this is really just the fact. My opinion doesn't really matter, and everyone's innocent until proven guilty. And the main focus right now is finding Amber, not really on Justin. Without so, a doubt. It's not about him. Right? It's not about anybody else other than finding Amber. So I think it's just, like, relevant to put this information in here, especially when you're emailing the news. Like, I'm going to read it off. But, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely think it's odd content and weird wording for someone to publicly submit as somewhat of a statement because you have to expect that that's going to be potentially publicly released because mm-hmm. an email is now their property. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. The same Tuesday that Justin was located, the Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crimes Unit joined the investigation into Amber's disappearance. Officer Kevin O'Donnell, who is the officer in charge of the Major Crimes Unit, told news outlets that it was not unusual for the unit to be called in when a missing or when a person's disappearance is out of character and criminality cannot be immediately ruled out. Uh, He went on to basically say that if criminality is ruled out, the Port Alberni RCMP will then take over again as primary investigating agency and major crimes will go deal with other major crimes (laughs) because there's a lot of them around here these days. Yeah. It's wild. Um, I have a whole list of people missing in the area that I can read at the end of this. I just found it when I was researching Amber's case, but yeah. Oh, you can go and look up missing and cold cases and there's i'm always shocked at how many we have just on the island in this area though right now like active it's crazy to me yeah um yeah no that that's crazy and super relevant and let's get the word out for sure so investigators from the major crimes unit right now are working to follow up on tips and information. They're conducting interviews, gathering surveillance uh, surveillance footage, sorry, and reviewing as much of the evidence as they can. The police have secured Amber's home and vehicle, and it's said that the vehicle either has already been or is being analyzed forensically. Um, I did see, like, on Facebook, which Facebook comments, I can't confirm them as like legitimate grain of salt right like i can't confirm those legitimate information but it is interesting i'm still going to go through them there's like over seven thousand members now in that finding amber man i'm in it facebook group (laughs) yeah um and there was a comment that there was potentially blood found in the vehicle oh but again Uh, that's yeah Facebook comment not from a legitimate source so i just felt it i also heard a rumor uh, that there was blood located somewhere else and whatnot, so. Oh, okay. But again, just rumor and, like, hearsay right now. So we'll wait for more information. Yes. And again, what I said about Justin is Paul is just my opinion. That's yeah. That's all. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Officers continue to search the area where her vehicle was found, as well as the Great Central Lake area near her home in Port Alberni. According to the Facebook group, Amber has lived near Great Central Lake for about 11 years now. Volunteers, including people with drones, tracking dogs, divers, have continued to comb the areas of Port Alberni and Nanaimo with extensive maps of logging roads and lakes. Um, There's a ton of logging roads in both Port Alberni and Nanaimo area, like so many. Um, So that's another kind of downside to an investigation like this is that in the area that we live, there's just so many back roads. You can keep Uh, going forever. Dirt roads, mountain roads, logging roads. It's a lot. It's excessive. Yeah. So Cowichan and Ladysmith RCMP and search teams have also joined uh, in the searches for Amber. This area is located south of Nanaimo. 
It was reported to me as well by a listener that dive teams were most recently deployed to search Cameron Lake. So they're, they are uh, searching Cameron Lake, which is what I, what I said before was where her last phone ping was near. Um, the bottom line here, Amber is deeply missed by her family and friends. Her disappearance has affected everyone close to her very deeply Amber was actually supposed to be in a wedding as either a bridesmaid or a maid of honor at the end of this month, and they have now canceled the wedding due to her being missing, and this has just taken priority, like, over everything for the people in her life. Currently, investigators are urging the public to review their dash cam surveillance or security footage or any other kind of footage you have if you walk around with a gopro cam on your head in these kind of areas you ride your hunting bike. cameras do you wear one of those weird unicycles literally anything that could be recording you yeah like, check it it's within the areas of cassidy where her sister found great central lake highway four between those two locations as well as any of the outlying logging roads um which like i said there's so many in both locations also, the Pacific Rim Highway, River Road, and Johnson Road. Um, River Road and Johnson Road are both two main roads in Port Alberni. Specifically, we're looking for the time period of the evening of July 7th and the time that her vehicle was found on July 10th. You can join the Facebook group Finding Amber Manthorn, which, like I said, currently has over 7,000 members. And anyone wishing to donate to the search efforts can email findingambermanthorn at outlook.com. Um, so like Isn't I mentioned... Isn't there also a search party that you can volunteer to take part in as well? There is. Um, most of the information can be found on the Facebook page. Like okay. If you become a member of the Facebook page, they post all of like the mass search information there. There's actually searches happening this weekend, but by the time the episode goes up, it will have been too late It'll to attend them anyway. So, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, um, if you go join the Facebook group, you can see any upcoming searches if you want to join them. And as I mentioned, Amber is said to be just over five feet tall. She's 120 pounds. She's got a slim build. She's blonde with blue eyes, Caucasian. Um, and she drew, was driving a white 2021 Jeep Compass. I'm going to post more pictures of both Amber and the Jeep on her Instagram account um, if I haven't already done so by the time this episode goes up. And we really just want to get the word out there, check your videos, call in your tips. Um, I forgot to read the RCMP number. <laughs> Oops. It's a lot of information. I did give the email, but I just realized there's a phone number and I do have it. Anyone with information regarding the disappearance of Amber or her whereabouts is asked to contact the Port Alberni RCMP at 250-723-2424. So that's 250-723-2424. Um, and in this case, Crime Stoppers hasn't been listed yet, and I know that they don't always work together, so I'm not going to list any Crime Stopper information until I kind of see that go out publicly by the mm -hmm. RCMP just so that I know that those tips are reaching them. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes the RCMP or the police don't always work with Crime Stoppers on specific cases for whatever reason. Um, and so if you call and leave a tip there, it's never going to get there. So we'll just stick with the RCMP number for now. Um, but yeah, I will now pass the floor back over to Katie to get us into our weekly episode. Uh, I've already taken up a lot of time but that one was very important to get out so 
No, I agree that one is time sensitive. We want to be diligent. And if we see something or we think we have information to definitely reach out for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm doing an old case today. Well, I say old. It's not that old, but it's older. Okay. And I'm... But did you have information for it? Or was there like one article? No. Uh, there was no, there's not enough for a Wikipedia page. I'll say that much. Okay. But there was enough to put together a decent amount of information. And I just found this really fascinating because like you like to pick Canada's firsts of stuff. Mm -hmm. This came up as Canada's, well, BC's for sure, but it was Canada's. First triple murder. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. That's crazy in a horrifying way. So crazy. I know, and it's pretty local too, so okay. let me get into it. Okay. Uh, We're ready. Actually, I will, I do want to quickly say, just because this is also real time, uh, not that there's any information out about it, but last night at 3 a.m., like not far from my house, a 33-year-old man was shot and killed. So also, for anyone who's local who might be following that case, if I see anything else on it, I will make sure to update anyone. Um, yeah, I mean, he's within a couple years of my age, so I'm waiting to see more information released. The ne they couldn't locate next of kin yet, so there's no name released as of a couple hours ago. Right. But we oh. shall see. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot happening locally lately. I just, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm just noticing it a lot more, but it's really sad. No, to see it's, it's always sad but it's just, it feels like overwhelmingly a lot is happening in our local area right now and um you know times it are is. tough and yeah yeah it is but let's get back to my case or let's get to my case i guess yes um yeah i'm gonna tell you about the paul's family okay and as i said first triple murder it's not one that I had actually heard of. It was one that as I was looking through other like listicles of things or archive articles, I came across and I was like, ooh, so I added it to the list. Mm -hmm. So this week when I needed one, I kind of just did like the dart at the map and I was like, you. <laughs> and then when I got into it, it was really morbidly interesting. I can literally picture you throwing a dart at like a string board. I would love to have a string board just with case recommendations on it instead of, hmm, I'm pretty crafty. You just wait and see. Put that anyway. on the idea board, ma'am. Well, I need to make this board before I can put the idea on it. That's I true. That. So June 11th, 1958, after a few days of being missing, uh, friends and people that know or work with the family start to reach out to local authorities to advise that they really hadn't seen any of this family of three for quite some time. Um, so David and Helen were in their early 50s and Dorothy, their daughter, was 11. And she hadn't shown up to school and they hadn't shown up to work. So around 5 p.m., police pull up to their house to do a wellness check, essentially, or whatever it would have been in the 1950s. It wasn't called that. <laughs> it definitely pull wasn't up called a wellness check like, in 50... No. Wherever we are. No. 
I don't even know what Did they you call say it. You said fifty-eight, right? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Yeah. No yeah. wellness checks in fifty-eight. No. But they went to check. They went to check. You know, like do 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 do. Knock knock knock. No one's there. But they notice that when they go to check the back door, it's our it's unlocked. So they just open it and like, hello, anybody home? Yoo-hoo. No answer. But when they glance over, they notice that. Helen, the wife, her purse is already on the table and it's kind of like tipped over and poured out a little bit. And some of her items are just like strewn about. So they already think that's like a little bit weird, but they're like, maybe she just put down her purse and it fell over because they also notice that they have a cat. So they're like, well, maybe the cat just knocked it over. We'll see. And like I, to be fair, I knock my purse over all the time and sweep things everything over. Yeah pretty common everything they proceed to go into the house and at the time it's just two officers so it's a more tenured um constable and then like a rookie like fresh on the force poor guy because as they come around the corner they see helen laying in the hallway like, still with her coat on and a dress underneath and her shoes on like she had just gotten home. Oh, okay. So immediately they're like, wee-oo, something's wrong. Yeah. The constable Reed, he leans down and touches her and he can feel that she's actually, like, cold to the touch already. Mm. So he immediately knows that she's gone. They have a crime scene. Around her body, there is, like, glass... And blood everywhere. The glass is actually from her glasses. It had, like, broken back into her face when she was attacked. And, like, broken around her face and into her face. And I'm imagining, like, these big 80s glasses. So it was probably, like, a freaking windshield. Like the big square... Hexagon? Is that what it's called? Hexagon shaped? The big ones? You're going to put them on and show me? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty brutal, though. So she, like, hit in the face with something then? We'll get there. Okay. We won't get there. So guns drawn. They're wandering through the house, you know, like, dun, 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 in case there's anyone still in there. They find that 11-year-old Dorothy is in her bed... What is that face for? This case. It's horrible already. Oh, yeah. It's like right out the gates. It's just bad. Yeah. So as I said, they're slowly making their way through the house. Guns drawn. Guards up thinking that someone could still be in the home. Mm -hmm. They go into Dorothy's room. They find her like in a back bedroom. This is really horrible. And she has essentially blood all around her on her pillow And her clothes are laid out at the end of her bed, like, for the next day. She was just, like, going to bed for the night. Yeah. Like an (sighs) 11-year-old does. Yeah. When they find her, they notice that she only has her pajama tops on, but she's not sexually assaulted. Okay. At this time, the officers make their way down to the basement of the home. Because this is just a very small, like, little 
standard family home, like just a few bedrooms, maybe a little tiny basement, nothing fancy. Mm -hmm. Just so they head downstairs. As they get to the bottom of the basement, they can see that from where Helen's laying on the floor up above, that blood is actually coming through the floorboards and like dripping onto a mat that's in the basement because they can see the drops because there's a carpet there. There they find 53-year-old David with coagulated blood around him just laying on the basement floor. Okay. Now, at the time, communities were already kind of on high alert because there was a case that had happened just, like, just before, a few months, uh, with a woman named Evelyn Roche. So she was stabbed to death like two blocks from her house in April of 58. So women were already told to like travel in pairs, have a male escort, don't go out by yourself. So when this happened, it kind of just fueled that fire even more. Um, Just a little bit about Evelyn and I may cover her case more in depth one day, but it sounds like there's not too much information about it. You can still submit tips for her case to the same number that I'll give at the end of the case. She was, as I said, in her 30s. She had two teenagers. She was just two blocks from home at the time. They were... Oh, wait. Her and her husband had literally, like, just moved into their home days before she was murdered. So, like, her kids moved into this house... They have this new experience that they're going through. She just goes to run to the post office and she asks her kids if they want to come with her and they're teenagers. So they're like, no, we just want to stay home and watch TV. But as she's leaving, one of them is like, don't forget to get grapes on your way home. And then when police found her, she had grocery bags and one of them had grapes. Stop. Oh, my heart hurts like- now. I know. I'm going to need eyes to make a water. bowl of macaroni and cheese off of this to make myself feel better. I just know it. Is it Annie's? Yeah, always. <sighs> the white cheddar? Whichever I'm feeling in the moment. Oh, I like the white cheddar. Whichever one's going to soothe my soul more. But yeah, that like broke my heart. Because yeah, really we all sad. remember that when we were teenagers as our mom left the house just being like, don't forget my Captain Crunch. Or something stupid, Something right? you didn't actually really need, but, like, your mom no. loves you, so she's going to get it anyway. But because she was like, do you need anything at the store? You really thought about something to ask her for, just so she, like, yeah. it was like testing to know she loves you. You're like, what can I ask her to bring me? I got it. <laughs> so back to the Pauls. Now, typically in their day-to-day routine, um, it's really cute. Helen works at a sausage shop in the downtown east side. Okay. Now, although the downtown east side wasn't necessarily a wonderful place at this time, it was a little bit safer in the sense that Helen still felt okay traveling the short distance from her work to her bus stop. And then once she got to closer to home, it was quite a distance from the bus stop to home. So David would always pick her up because it was like 1130 at night by the time she finished her like 3 to 11 p.m. shift. Okay. So he would always make sure to pick her up because he didn't like her walking the longer distance that late at night on more like darker 
like nighttime like housing streets rather than business streets yeah not probably not a lot of street lights no i don't imagine it being at the time yeah so because she works this late shift david is always promptly there waiting for her but it seems like this night she wasn't there once police start putting the pieces together he wasn't there he, he wasn't there. Sorry. He just, like, didn't show up to the bus stop this night. And, I mean, she wasn't, like, upset or anything. It didn't seem like. She just, it seemed like she just made her way home. Like, we know that they were all in different parts of the home. Mm-hmm. So, this is the assumption. So, no David at the bus stop. After this, about 12 people, oddly enough, see and report Helen running home with like a newspaper over her head because by this time it was raining. So right near her home, tons of accounts that people saw her. Small neighborhood, everyone knew each other. They could all account for her. When police also look at the home, there's no forced entry. They notice that they're near a left side door um, as they're carrying a flashlight around looking at the property at nighttime they can see that there are some marks in the lawn where someone was walking across. And when they talk to neighbors, they say that David would just, like, walk across the lawn to get into the truck. I see. To okay. go get Helen from the bus stop. So police's theory is he was walking across the lawn and someone attacked him. So he never even left to go get her. Right. He never and the reason made it to the car. Exactly. And the reason they think this is because they do find blood outside and on the stoop near the stairs, there's just like a ton of blood set the side door. Okay. Here is where they piece together that whoever approached David, like at gunpoint, had him following him into the home. Once they got to the steps, they shot him in the back of the head. Not just once, but twice. Here, they then dragged him into the house, beat him, shot him an additional few times to ensure that he was dead. What isn't confirmed or clear is if they he essentially knocked David unconscious or down at first and went inside to attack Dorothy, though. Right. Because we don't know how she wouldn't have woken up because she was found in her bed as if she was already in bed for the night because it was supposedly 1130 and it wasn't uncommon at the age of 11 that David would leave for the home for 10, 15 minutes and come back. Right. Like just to go. That's pick not up shocking to wife. any of us. Yeah. Right. And so did the person who attacked him then just like use his keys? Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. 
They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for Good Food today using the code FREEPODCASTBYPROXY to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your Good Food account to get a classic box on us. To get in the house? Well, they think they essentially walked him to the door and David unlocked the door. And once the door was unlocked, they shot him. Oh. And then, so they think he dropped to the ground. There, they're thinking, because he was already shot and likely disabled, essentially, of any way of moving or fighting back, they then went in the house knowing potentially where Dorothy was in the home to attack her And that's why her pajama bottoms were off and she was found face down with a comforter over her face, like maybe to make it quieter. Hmm. I don't know. That's brutal. And that he didn't shoot Dorothy. He beat her in the head. But the reason why they think her pajama bottoms were off is because Helen then came home and interrupted the act. Oh. And then that's when he would have come out the bedroom and where Dorothy was in the hallway, because obviously she goes to check on her daughter first when she comes home, she ran into the assailant. The assailant shot her in the face. Her glasses broke inwards smashed in her face and then when she fell all the glass fell back out and that's why it was surrounding her body on the floor like i said she dropped her purse was shot in the hallway and then the way she fell the side of her head was exposed the assailant shot her a few additional times in the head that's brutal and sounds like potentially they knew them to some degree Potentially, there's so many theories about this. Right, unless the person just, like, went looking for other people. But it seems weird to me that at 1130 at night you would just be like, oh, there must be a child in there. Yeah. If you didn't know them. And I think there's a level of efficiency from attacking David to knowing exactly where the child's room is. I know it, It is a very small home. Like, you could probably, it's one of those homes you could stand in the middle and kind of, like, poke your head into each area and be like, not up here. <laughs> yeah. But still, I think there'd have to be some level of awareness. Like, at the very least, you'd have had to at least, like, watch them a couple times to know that there's a child in there. At the very yeah, least. or have seen them and followed them home or something. It's, yeah. I mean, I know this is from, like, 1958 and we have, you know, this is pretty, like, there's good information, There's some decent theories, though. though. But it, it just seems like you would have had to have been there before. That's all. I agree. The assailant is believed to have left the house the same way. Oddly enough, grabbing a rock, like, from the back garden, like, dislodging a rock from the back garden as they left. Um, and that was one way that police officers were able to see that. So they don't know if maybe they pu- he pulled the rock up and used that to, like, beat David. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know. But there was a rock dislodged. I see. So, like, he was beaten with something, but they don't know what it was. Yeah. Okay. At the time of these attacks, David was a janitor at Woodward's, which was like a home goods store locally here. Okay, yeah. Um, And as mentioned, Helen worked at 
home fancy sausages. Stop. That's a, amazing. Yeah. It was I like want a, home fancy sausages. Right? It made me think of when you and I used to eat Smokies like every single day. <laughs> I was a different person back then. Back to this. Yeah. Dorothy, 11, attended uh, Walker Moberly Elementary, and they had a cat named Tiger who can actually be seen in one of the crime scene photos. <laughs> Adorable. He made his debut. Yeah, he's just like, hi. <laughs> oh, it's so sad to me. When, really cute. When animals like get left, though, because their owners died. That, makes, that always makes me really sad. I always just wish someone would follow up and tell us what happened with all the animals. Same. I need like can a... Can there be... A detective a in every department that is the animal. De- a, a pet recap, please. Constable. I guess there's that's what not. animal control does. There's not. Well, Tiger, I hope you left a, lived a great life. Maybe a neighbor adopted you or something, because I know the Pauls had no family locally, so. Okay. Yeah. Their home was a small two-story home. In South Vancouver, at the time, it was diverse, working-class area. It was on East 53rd Road. Doesn't feel right, but that's okay. Helen was an avid gardener. She really wanted to have chicken coops. And then they also had very high hedges because they were big on privacy. Okay. They were... This is so confusing... They were Russian born of Danish descent, but spoke German. Oh, okay. Anna Delvey. Riddle me that. <laughs> That's all that reminds <laughs> me of is Anna Delvey, because wasn't she like Russian, German, British, like Dutch, American? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I know the Pauls aren't like Anna Delvey. That was, I just mean the accents and the, the French. Accents. That's just all it reminded me of. <laughs> They did, however, spend most of their weekends out in the Fraser Valley. Sounds like they had a small farm out there as well. And they did a lot of their, you know, just outdoor time there and enjoyed the weather out there and a little bit quieter pace. They were fairly religious. They were Mennonites and didn't drink or smoke, were very quiet. They were described as frugal, kept to themselves, private. I don't know anything about the Mennonite religion, even though I know that my grandma was raised as a Mennonite, so I should know more about Mennonites. You should. Um, But we're not going to get too much into it. Isn't it similar to, like, Canada's version of, like, the Amish, though? I believe so. Yeah. That's what Um, I thought. They were practicing. And we're actually, though, taking a bit of distance from their church, however, because it's an expectation that every man um, gives a percentage of his wages back to his church. And David really didn't feel that it was right and appropriate what they were asking of him. Okay. And so they were actively taking a bit of a step back just to figure out what was right for them because, I don't know, he just was not okay with what they were asking anymore because it kept increasing. Right. And it just wasn't something that was sitting right with him. Good for him. Yeah. David and his wife immigrated here separately in 1923, uh, both around the same time. David worked on on the Funk family dairy farm originally, and he married what was their youngest daughter of 10, and her name was Helen. Okay. 
Hold please, though. This was in 1930 and she was 23 years old, but this Helen died in childbirth. Oh. David then went on to marry, marry Helen number two. Oh. Yeah. Okay. There was about a 10-year gap in between the two marriages where he stayed in the Mennonite community during that time and had a small farm, lived off the land, and was a pretty happy guy. Yeah. However, 1940 rolls around, dun-dun-dun, in walks this beautiful woman, Helen, and they move to the Fraser Valley together. Right. He likes the Helen. He did like a good Helen. So any family he has, and this would kind of be what he would consider like the Funk family farm people as well, because he's still quite close to them, are all spread throughout Abbotsford on the Fraser Valley still. Okay. And during that time, David actually did a little stint of work at a sawmill. In 1953, though, they do move into Vancouver, and this was about 18 months prior to this attack. The neighborhood they moved into, being German-speaking, was very a heavily... German influenced neighborhood and apparently you would just like drive through and hear neighbors just like speaking in German to each other over the hedges and stuff and it just makes me think of like back when immigrants would just kind of create Mm -hmm. neighborhoods and communities and I just really love that. Helen had voiced concerns over rumors that drugs were being sold at her work and that uh, communists were gathering there but of course being from Russia, yeah, anything to do with communism is terrifying in her eyes. Yeah, so she's on high alert, and this really put her on edge. I was gonna say that's not like a joke when you're actually from Russia. Yeah. So the Wednesday of the before the attack, or sorry, of the attack, Helen's boss calls David originally to see why she's not at work that next day. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't answer either. So, of course, being a small community and being the German community that everybody knows, he starts making a few calls around and realizes that David didn't make it into work that day either. So now he's starting to get pretty concerned, and he's actually the one that calls police. Okay. Because they did not miss work. They were very frugal. They were good at saving. He wouldn't pass up work, nor would neither of them show up to work. That's just too weird. Yeah. And if that is the case, then maybe the whole family's fallen ill and they need someone to check on them anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I feel like that happens a lot. It's like people, there's one place you're going to go, it's your job because people need it's to work. pay their bills. And that's like, isn't almost, that the worst thing? It's like almost it always. It used to the be like flag. your friends would notice you're missing, but now it's like, no, your, your coworkers would notice you're missing before anyone else because 100%. we literally all live to work. Yeah. Ugh. So gross. <laughs> You're not wrong. But yeah, mm-hmm. like everyone, if your coworkers are going to be the first person a lot of the time to notice that you're not there. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, if you didn't phone, then why the heck are you not here? You got bills to pay, sister. We all do. do. Likely the last person to actually see Dorothy and David, though, was Dorothy's little friend, uh, Etta. She had been over by their house just probably a couple hours before the attack, potentially, like that evening she had been by earlier. Yeah, so looking back now, her family was very grateful that she wasn't impacted by this or taken in any attack. Yeah, or like didn't sleep over. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Police and dog teams searched a nearby abandoned car just because they thought it looked weird and being a, a town where, or a community where everybody knows everybody, an odd car would stand out to them. And it looked like it hadn't really been, like, touched in a while. So they were wondering if maybe someone had been camping out or surveying the family. Right. Um, however, nothing was found. They also did all trash cans up and down the streets for any other weapons. At the time that police were removing evidence and remains from the home, there was about 300 people lining the streets just watching what was happening because this was such a shock to the community. A local woman who was interviewed at the time even said that she had chained her doors shut ever since Evelyn's attack, but now she was going to barricade it. Whoa. Yeah, I people mean, were fair. So people are on edge. Scared. Yeah, a lot of fear. Along there. with, yeah, including in the evidence that they collected were items that were bloodstained, a shoe print, as well as articles of clothing. They collected fingerprints. They were also able to identify that all the victims were killed by a Rome RG10 revolver. And it was a gun that you could only get in the United States. So that really stuck out to them. And it was a gun that you could get for like $14.95. $15 for a gun? $15. That's wild. I don't think you can get that anymore. But like, what's $15 in 2022 money? $15. 1958 to 2022. Dollar value, $15 in 1958 would be worth $153.80 in 2022. Hmm. So. Well. That's it like was a teeny weeny gun. Nine and a half percent inflation rate. <laughs> anyway. I don't want to talk about inflation right now. <laughs> I don't think any of us do. No, we all feel it. We don't need to talk about it. Hmm. Okay. So this gun, as I said, was pretty tiny. So police didn't believe that he could have used, he or she could have used the butt of it to do the attacks. That's why they assumed that maybe that's why the rock was dislodged from the garden. Like maybe they had dislodged it prior to attacking David with the assumption that they might need it. Or it could have been something that they had grabbed kind of in a tussle with him. They're not sure. So it says that this gun would be used typically by a low-brow criminal. It's a starter gun. It's super cheap. It's really rare in Canada, but they were kind of a dime a dozen in the U.S. Right. So essentially it was someone who wasn't hooked up or connected at the time. Because in this community, if you knew the right people, you could get very good weapons. Okay. (laughs) According to sources locally, they were like, yeah, he clearly didn't know anyone. (laughs) Oh, I see. Like, it wasn't... Like, he could have done better if he had he known the right He could have done better guy. if he knew people, so it was like a first-timer kind of thing. Exactly. They were, like, very lowbrow, didn't know what they were buying. Okay. It wasn't for something they were going to keep. Potentially, could have been a one-off. Could have just been for show. Who knows? When police are searching the home after the fact, they notice that chalked on the back door is DP plus HT. So this is believed to be 
Are you trying to think of what it is? Yeah. So it's Dorothy Paul, and according to sources, H.T. was her crush at school at the time. Oh. And someone had put this on the door. Now, Dorothy was being really heavily bullied at the time, so that could have just been a coincidence that somebody had come and done that. Because I kept seeing that it was chalked on the door, which leads me to believe that it was literally written in chalk. Yeah. And I think if you were there to attack them, you could do better than chalk. For your, like, cryptic message. Can she have chalked it herself? <laughs> totally. I don't know if she would on the back door of her family home. Oh, I see. It was on the back door. Hmm, that's weird. Yeah. Very odd. Now, Dorothy had really been rebelling against the Mennonite life as well. She spent a lot of time alone because her parents worked. Um, so this got her kind of in potentially some trouble, I think. She got to spend extra time with other kids. Throughout this time, by being bullied, she had had a knife held to her back, her hair pulled. During the interaction where her kid had a knife to her back, other kids rallied around and were yelling, kill her, kill her. Like, life was not easy for this little girl. And, like, I always think that, like, bullying has gotten worse. But I just feel like it's always been there. It's just like a... I don't I think know why. I are more brazen now because of the internet. Right. It's just, like... But I think... Crazy that it's just, like, a... I don't want to say a universal concept, but, like, it's... Bullying stands the test of time. Like, times yeah. change, trends change, how so being cool is interpreted in changes, but, like bullying people and making them feel like shit just doesn't change no crazy there's always going to be a demographic of people that need to put other people down to make themselves feel better and that's really sad like a knife to an 11 year old that's extreme and like really sad why does another 11 year old have a knife to begin with 50s were wild i have so many questions (laughs) the 50s oi oi Police had questioned all of Dorothy's friends and ruled them out. There didn't seem to be any boys that were involved in the bullying, so to speak, or that really could have taken part to do such a gruesome attack. I was going to say they're 11. They're going to do a triple murder of a whole family? Like, that's extreme. I guess, like... I think it was more just because the HT was potentially someone that she had a crush on, so they thought potentially it could have been, like, a couple kids or maybe one of the boys did it just to out her or something i don't know yeah no that makes sense i mean you have to explore all leads too and like it, like you said it is kind of strange that it was chalked on the back door like obviously we all doodled our crushes initials with ours when we were between the ages of 11 and probably Whatever. far too old but uh <laughs> now <laughs> it's like a pretty normal practice especially for like adolescents and teenagers but like on the back door of your family home is i can see how that would raise it's, yeah. alarm bells yeah i feel like you would do it in something in your own room or like in public somewhere hidden where no one would know who did it and what the initials are but yeah i don't think i would do something where my parents would see it because usually i'm hiding my crush from my parents my parents <laughs> let me like write in sharpie on the back of my bedroom door like in my bedroom so and they still have the door but the door is replaceable i think that's really cool they kept it though like i was going through their storage they have a garage now with like a storage upstairs and i, was I bet like, it's gonna be at your wedding one day i was looking through it in my like they kept a whole does nick have door. one too 
No, Nick wasn't that cringy. I was the only cringy teenage girl in the house. Oh, I wrote on everything. It was just the generation of little emo kids we were. Yeah, it's like everything I would let all my friends sign the back of my door. I would like write I think that's a uh, great idea. song lyrics, crush initials, like you name it. My feelings were on that door and my, my parents I love that it. idea. Yeah. Like, give your kids a space to write on the walls mm-hmm. or be crazy. And a door is such a good option because they can just take it off. And when, you know what, company's over, you open the door, they don't see it. They don't see it because you just open the door. Yeah. yeah. Okay, back to the pulps. Rumors and rumbling around at the time were that there was a 22-year-old near the home that a few weeks earlier had been, like, shooting cans and stuff out in the woods. Nothing too major. But there is a man that was seen acting erratically just the night before, like right by their backyard. Oh. Nothing came of either of these rumors. They never came to fruition. However, I do feel like the second one is odd. Um, The other clues that they found there were a footprint, a palm print, and the rock from the garden, uh, as we said. And none of those have led to anything as of yet. Witnesses did report seeing a 1950s blue Ford in the lane near their home, uh, near where they were had their chicken coop set up. Uh, Henry Thompson was an 18-year-old indigenous man who was known to local authorities for attempted rape of an 11-year-old named Sharon Sharp and sexual assault and murder of Ethel Tussing. She was walking home and he attacked her. Okay. So, he's also a potential option, as we do come to find that one of the potential reasons is Dorothy and Dorothy only. It could have been someone who only wanted her, as we come to think, and personally, I think. Yeah. Henry Thompson was caught in Bellingham, because he was able to access it via Vancouver. He was from the Fraser Valley, and he also spent a lot of his weekends there as did this family, so he could have actually gotten to know them and maybe right. met the family in passing, so he wouldn't have been a stranger either. Mm-hmm. And he could have actually like, walked into Dorothy's room and been like, oh, hey, I came to help your dad with something, or he could have been known to her in a way, because he could have actually been talking to her when she's out playing or out doing something without her parents. He could have been interacting with her. It yeah. was a theory. I mean, we've seen that before, like maybe not like the yeah. knowing them from somewhere else, but like, you know, a guy just interacting with the, with the kids outside, building rapport. It's quite, you know, unfortunately easy to groom children because they're so friggin' vulnerable and think that everybody has their best interests at heart. Terrible yeah. that monsters take advantage of that, but it definitely happens. But they do. Sources close to Thompson did report that he was on Vancouver Island at the time of the attack, so I believe he did have an alibi and it was corroborated because we haven't seen anything come of it to this day involving him, but that would, again, lead towards Dorothy being the target. In 1996, a provincial unsolved homicide unit was created and this was one of five cases it was provided to the new task force to try to work on they believed that it was a sexually motivated attack um however the motives that were on the table at the time because they were vast 
was either a botched robbery. Um, I guess that could be it. it. It isn't my gut feeling, considering the purse was spilled across the table with nothing taken that we could see. And it wasn't reported that they also stole stuff from the home. Yeah, I guess you could argue that it would be difficult to even know if anything was missing because they were all killed, but it definitely seems weird. Like, you're committing a robbery. I feel like you would just take the whole purse. You wouldn't go, mm-hmm. like, rifling through it. You'd just, like, get your shit and go. Like, people don't aren't really picky when they're in a robbery. You'd think, though, if you ran through the basement, you'd grab, like, some tools or some a jewelry box. Or there'd be some drawers pulled out. But there was just yeah. none of that. There's nothing else. I mean, a, quote, botched robbery. Like, he still killed everyone. He still had the... He or she still had the potential to, like, go through mm-hmm. the house and steal stuff if that was their motive for being there. For sure. Yeah. No, I agree. Second was that it was a peeping Tom that was caught by David, potentially. So maybe he was walking out to go to the truck and was like, hey, you. And that created the need for the attack. And then he thought because he was there. I just don't really believe that someone would get caught, attack someone, and then still go in the home. I think if you attack someone outside, you just take off. And again, like there was the wherewithal to have a gun. Yeah. Like, like that was planned. And because it did seem like a gun that wasn't common or popular or overtly, well, it was effective, clearly, but it wasn't a Not something people are, like, walking around with as their daily. That's such a weird statement. Yeah, it seems like something that if you're knowledgeable about guns and you want to carry a gun on you, you'd have something better. Yeah. This was just, like, I need one This seems like the disposable camera version of a gun. (laughs) Okay. That, no, I, I can appreciate that. Thank you. And that's not to make light of it, but that is kind of how it feels to me. Like, yeah. Yeah, like when you think about the motive for having it, it was like, I just need something quick. Yeah. Yeah. I can appreciate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This one I find very interesting. So third is a case of mistaken identity. Okay. Now hear me out. They had just bought this house less than two years earlier from a retired police chief who was about the same age as David and had, they were like a two parent family with a daughter about the same age. So that one, I kind of like the idea of, however, it didn't seem to grow any legs. They didn't find anyone that was overtly likely to have wanted to do that to the police chief or his family that's what I was going to say. Go was there anywhere. any, like, motive? Was he... I mean, we don't know if he was, like, a dirty cop or involved in anything. But was there anything, like, messy there? No. No. And that was the issue. Right. They were like, well, yes, that would... That makes sense. But there's no evidence or reason for it. Because, like, so it for example, this sense. is, like, the most <laughs> uh, obvious comparison or, like, obvious one. But with, like, the Long Island serial killer, there's, like... A lot there to suspect that that police chief was involved in a lot of nefarious things. And so that wouldn't be, like, shocking. Yeah. I do not. I think this is nothing like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I I totally get what you mean, though. So. Yeah. Because it's, like, believable up to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it didn't have 
like any legs to stand on yeah. once you really were like, okay, but where's the evidence? Because yeah, I like this theory, but what does it stand on? And then you're like, oh, nothing. nothing. Yeah. Number four was that they were potentially attacked by the Mennonite community because they had recently been kind of rebelling against them, distancing from the church. It could have been seen as them going against the grain, mm-hmm. them disrespecting the higher power that is the church. I've seen the church do worse, so. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, but if you've watched any Netflix documentaries lately, you know what I'm talking about. Well, and there was kind of like a overwhelming whisper around the church. It kind of like, well... We didn't do anything, but we couldn't help them either. It was the will of God. And was the church, like, so, overly like, helpful in this investigation? I'm no, sure not really. I'm sure they were questioned. No. They were questioned, but, yeah, nothing came of it. They, I, I don't like, think it was them anyway, but... And, like, fair, yeah. if they had been distancing themselves from the church, the church probably wouldn't really know that much anyways. Like, we're not saying the church mm-hmm. is involved here. Not all churches are bad. Um, <laughs> the bad ones, unfortunately, give it a bad rep. Uh, sometimes but they're not so it's just it's just interesting questions that i have yes numbers five and six kind of go together they could have felt like well five is that it was a russian issue okay now number six is that it's a communist issue in the sense that potentially the family had overheard something at a place of work when they were there with helen or what helen may have heard at work and brought home information wise And she just overheard the wrong thing. Sure. And they wanted to ensure that she didn't say anything. Or it could have been that there was an issue back in Russia that had followed them to Canada. And someone had just finally been acting on behalf of someone else back in Russia. Again, all of these kind of have some validity to them. Like, I could... I can see them all happening. I can't even, like, speak to the last ones, though, because I'm just not knowledgeable no. enough in that area. But, like, yeah, I'm not going to say that it's probably not possible. But you're like, yeah, the church. Especially because I keep having to go back to, like, we're in the 50s. We're not in 2022. We're talking about 1958, which was, like. Very different time. As much as a lot of things haven't changed, a lot of things have changed. Um, and so it's hard to even, like, compare, yes. you know. Anything. I mean, there's kids with knives at 11 years old in schools in 1950. I mean, there is so. now, too. Yeah, you don't hear now they that have as much. I feel like they crack down a little bit harder on it. Maybe just like here, where we're from, in Canada. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I don't know how many series you have left, um, or like how much you got still to go, but I did want a quick pause, and I looked up the difference between the Mennonites and the Amish. Because I needed to know. So. Riddle me this. The Mennonites. When it comes to their beliefs. The Amish and Mennonite faiths are like super similar. But it's. Mm -hmm. The difference lies in like how they outwardly practice those beliefs. So for example. Mennonites are not prohibited from using motor vehicles. Mennonites are allowed to use electricity electricity and telephone in their homes. Whereas, so they can use modern luxuries. But, like, their actual religion or, like, their belief system is the same. They just exercise it differently. They're just a bit more modern, if you will. Well, that would be, like, what David and Helen would be at this point because they clearly drive. Mm-hmm. They don't drink or smoke. 
but it seems like they just live a very structured, yeah, um, like responsible lifestyle. Good to know, though. I just like never really knew the difference, and I was always told that they were like similar, but no, anyway. same. I knew they were quite similar, but every source I found said that the the freedom of information requests that everybody put in, whether it was articles, podcasts, anything. They all get denied. Access denied. Which is super weird because even though, yes, it is still an open case, there is information and evidence from this case in the Vancouver Police Museum. Yeah. So they won't publicly release any information, but they'll put it on display. For... And like, okay, anyway. so I read an article by a criminologist recently about a different case regarding this kind of thing because we know that, you know, police keep hold back information and things to protect yeah. the integrity of their investigation and um, so on and so forth. But the argument here by this criminologist was like, at okay, let's say this case, for example, what we're at 60 years old. There is yep. potentially the person who committed this crime could be dead at this point. What is the 100%. benefit to holding back this information when 60 years have passed? Oh, yeah. That's pretty much like at the very end of my case is like. What's the benefit? The That's what everybody's saying is like no one. They have no family no, nearby. They are an immigrant family with no one that's going to be directly affected by this information. Why not release it? Or like something. It has no negative impact to give a bit more information to get more information in return. Mm -hmm. Not after 60 years. Like, right? You're not protecting anything at this point because there's nothing to protect. There's no one to protect anymore. (sighs) Oh my goodness. A letter was sent to the police chief years later and it was written and they said in a way that made them believe that the person's first language wasn't English. So some of the wording just lent to it i guess they said the man you should go after blank and it was like blacked out in what the report was however they did indicate that it was a russian man and police were able to view the name so i believe it was just redacted for outside sources yeah they also disclosed what they knew to be the plan for that evening when police investigated the russian man in the letter He passed a polygraph test. His fingerprints didn't match. He had an alibi. He was fine. Right. Okay. Now, David was found with a shoelace tied tightly around his neck, or sorry, around his wrist as well. This is typically a sign of a possible Russian criminal act, apparently. And so that is why police put that theory on the table. I would say so. It also could have been a a matter of convenience. Right. We don't quite know. If it is a symbol for that, though, that's really interesting. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty, like, clever idea that someone was like, hey, this is what is known as, like, a Russian criminal act or a sign of, which I thought was pretty neat. So as there's no set motive... The theory essentially is that one person in this home was a target and two people were collateral damage, no yeah. matter what it was, yeah. which I tend to agree with. There was upwards of 3,000 interviews held, as well as many, many letters submitted to police for them to do like handwriting tests uh, to compare to against the letter that was sent in. Yeah. So five days later, after this attack... 
Police were, like, keeping their name in the public. It was everywhere. And then all of a sudden, Vancouver was kind of rocked with, like, a new piece of news. Um, June 17th, 1958, the Second Narrows Bridge in Vancouver collapsed. Oh, shit. And when it was, it now is the Iron Workers Bridge, right. but a lot of people so would have noted it. So that took over, though, media coverage. Because that would have been course. huge. If you've ever been to Vancouver, you know that you can't really go or do anything without crossing bridges. So Totally. Yeah. Um, 18 people actually ended up dying in this, partially working crew and some rescue workers. Uh, but 79 workers originally fell with the bridge or people that were on the bridge. On June 21st, the community was reminded as the memorial for the family was held at a local church. They announced there was a $14,000 reward for any information correlated to the case that would provide any further details. Um, And that was actually provided by multiple different sources that came forward to put money in for that. In 2015, they were added as the oldest current case on the cold case list. Canada at the time with like you said tipping at about 60 years yeah in 2015 police uh, in Vancouver made a public plea for more information about this case as well as one other the second case they were to mention was uh, Mayette Monzen she was a 31 year old bar worker or nightclub worker who was killed outside her home on the same street as the Paul's family. Really? Yeah. She lived with her mom. She was just outside, not far from her home on the 1400 block. Paul's were in the 1000 block, so not too, too far apart. They were presumed that she was killed uh, by someone who was sitting waiting for her or sitting in waiting because it seemed like she was on her way home and they shot her right out front of her house. And police said that you can provide information to any of these essentially three cases at this point that I mentioned today uh, to 604-717-3321 or Crime Stoppers is related to all three of these and associated so you can call 1-800-222-8477, or you can just email Crime Stoppers. Go to their website. Their resources are everywhere. If you have any information, don't hesitate to submit it. What a sad case. Like, a whole family? I know, and like an 11-year-old. But I do agree with, like, the dad was attacked because he wanted the daughter, and then mom just happened to interrupt. I could agree with that, because why else would you just remove an 11-year-old's pants and leave them on the floor? And nothing was stolen. Nothing was really disrupted. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would have to probably agree. Um, we're talking about the bridges in Vancouver. One of, and like how it collapsed and that's like... The iron workers? Yeah. But like that's mm-hmm. literally one of my worst fears. So have you seen Final Destination 5? Yeah. Yeah. It's filmed in Vancouver. Yeah. The opening scene is like the, when yeah, the, the bridge collapse, collapses and it's the Lionsgate Bridge in Vancouver. I remember seeing that and then like finding out it was a Vancouver bridge and now I like am uneasy in Vancouver Lake Placid was filmed in Seanigan and that makes me feel that way about Seanigan Lake. There's been so many movies and shows are starting to get filmed in Canada because we cheap. <laughs> They've balling on a we're budget. We're cheap and we have beautiful scenery. I was going to say, fucking filmmakers are balling on a budget after COVID and Canada is like more stunning than anywhere. So there's just, I've just seen a lot of film action Thanks. going on here. 
Welcome to our province. <laughs> thank that, you. BC thank and you. Ontario have got, been getting a ton of action. Yes. I love Umbrella Academy, and we were watching the most recent season, the third season. And Brandon's obviously from Ontario, and they filmed basically the whole show in Hamilton. And he, like, paused one scene and was like, I've literally been hammered at that bar. Like, in You're this like, bar. I stood right there. Like, and they don't change it that much. Like, they change it to kind of no. match, like, the time period and the vibe. But, like, they don't. They change, like, brand names. Right. Anything, and so he was just like, like, this is yeah. so weird. Anyway, just a fun fact. Well, you did it. No, I love seeing. Well, it's like how Royal Roads is in what Deadpool and X Men. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, you did an excellent job covering this case. I have never heard of this before. It's crazy, and it would be so awesome to get a case like this solved after so long. Um, thank you for joining us on today's episode of PVP. If you would like to follow us on social media, visit our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Podcast by Proxy, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Podbean. I'm talking with my hands right now. Katie's making fun of me. And uh, we will see you next week. We're going to have an episode up on Patreon this month, so go check them out if you're not already a member, and we will check you later. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.